Welcome to the Warrior to Warrior podcast, storytelling and skills to invite present-centered awareness where we can remember we're so much more than anxiety and stronger than we think we are. As Mental Health Awareness Month continues, I'd like to bring a little awareness to a specific population of North America who seems to be struggling at the moment. And I had no idea how much until I met one of its members. I recently had an opportunity to spend some time with a longtime nurse, and she told me so many stories of what it's been like for healthcare workers over the last two and a half years. And, you know, I get it. In many cases, we're wanting to move on. We're not wanting to be stuck in the trauma of where we've been collectively. However, many of us are left picking up the pieces or feeling as though we are in pieces and not knowing where to turn. So I turned to a longtime nurse that I know very well, many of you know very well. She was my co-host of the first incarnation of this podcast, the Radiant Warrior podcast, owner of Radiant Yoga and Wellness in Columbus, Ohio, and herself a 25-year career emergency room nurse, registered nurse. She's dedicated her entire life to studying nursing and practicing nursing at all different levels in the healthcare system. And now she's an advocate for mental health of healthcare workers and a real activist in that realm as well, as you'll hear. One of the most compelling things that Amy Pruitt (laughs) talks to me about, as she did agree to come and talk to me on this episode, one of the most compelling things that she said is that we never know when we ourselves will be needing the healthcare system. We never know when we ourselves will be a patient. So it really behooves all of us to make sure that that system and the people that work in it are taken care of and supported. And so we talk about, from Amy's perspective, what's been happening, what the outcome has been, and what we can do to be there for this part of our population and this very essential system, including what Amy and I may be able to do in our small little corner of the world. So thank you so much for joining me and joining us for this important conversation. It's been a a few months that we decided to bring this podcast back and then things changed and it's really nice to talk to you again, Amy. I know. I've missed you so much. We certainly didn't talk as much when we were not talking in a scheduled way on the podcast, so this is wonderful. This is a wonderful opportunity. You know, I know for me, uh, our intentions were to bring the podcast back and to be a resource. That's wonderful. And that always feels like a reason to have this opportunity come to fruition and have these conversations. And, you know, that was also kind of a dark time. And I felt like I only had so much to say. I've been pretty open here about um, mental health in my family and some kind of scary things to deal with. And maybe it's something to do with being Generation X. And we had so many years where we didn't have social media and we didn't have the phone, Um, but it doesn't come naturally all the time to sort of talk in public, even though I think it's so important to speak about mental health issues in public, which I felt like I did, but a lot of this was not my story to share. So I also felt like retreating and kind of just dealing with my own direct community as well. So much. I feel exactly the same way. I felt like my, my social bubble got very small for a long time because that's what I had the bandwidth for. And you and I, throughout this podcast, we've talked a lot about burnout because that has been your journey. And I know that you're always really careful and watchful of your inner experience to make sure that you're not headed toward that again. So if we're talking a lot about people taking care of themselves and not overscheduling themselves, we wanted to kind of model that it's okay to take a break. Yeah, I was definitely headed that way again in a very fast pace for sure. At the beginning of the pandemic, trying to 
be all the things for all the people in my life and be the resource for my community. There was a lot of questions at the time that I was seemed to be fielding for my family, my students, and also owning a studio where people gathered in a space where they move and breathe together was very interesting and frightening. And then also being a nurse in the hospital. All of these things were full-time entities at the time. They all took my time and emotion and energy, and I quickly hit a wall with all of them and felt like I had to shed so much to maintain my energy. And still, I burnt out super quick. So mm-hmm. even with all the tools and resources that I have gained over the years trying to recover from burnout, I quickly dove headfirst back into it. So that was <laughs> that has been my journey for the past two years now to try to again recover from burnout. And it wasn't just my journey. It was a global catastrophe. Everyone is, I'm sure, feeling that. But that was my story again to to revisit all the things that I was offering to other people. I was not doing for myself and I burn out. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I wanted to speak with you about today is recently um, I was speaking with a client who has been a nurse for a long time in an ICU and she shared some of the reality of what went on during the pandemic for her and her community. And she was really reticent to share because she felt like, you know, I don't know if people really want to know. She's almost feeling like here we are as a society reemerging and moving on. Um, And we've all suffered in our own way and we've all really changed in our own way. Our families have been affected. We lost community members. Our children have been affected. And so, you know, her feeling was, I don't know where to go with everything that I held and am still struggling with and how I've been traumatized with in the healthcare system, because I don't know if people really want to hear about this. And as she shared her experience, I was feeling, I think actually We all need to hear about this. We all need to witness the experience of healthcare workers because this is a system that we all need to stay healthy. And it sounds like in many cases, it is not. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like if there was one system that was just so broken and overworked and so many expectations placed upon it, it is this integral system to um, our well-being as a society. So, you know, for instance, she was sharing just, first of all, in the beginning of the pandemic, just the chaos, you know, the chaos for her and the death and how hard it was to deal with people who were dying alone and just just the volume of people who were sick and the fear and the lack of supplies for healthcare workers themselves, having to wear that same mask day after day after day because supplies were running out because other people were hoarding. And then just the deep grief and anger and betrayal that she then felt after putting her body through all of that and isolating away from family and then having her hospital become this place of protest and also people really not believing that something was going on that she was seeing with her own eyes and how that felt um, like a deep sense of like almost like a not belonging in her community. And and so I just really felt I think people more people need to know about this. I know a lot of people do because they have healthcare workers in their lives, but a lot of people don't. And yeah, we there we do want to move on. We do. Yet this is also true. What's also true is that a lot of people are dealing with the fallout still and will be for some time. And healthcare only works if it's community, like if we're taking care of everybody you know, and, and not just self. I feel that greatly. I can, I can so relate to her experience over the past two years and, and what you just said at the end about community, that was really prevalent that 
that the fatigue of the pandemic, as people were just over it, they're done with it, that it became very much individualized. People no longer had that community care, even for those closely around them, not to mention their their wider community, the healthcare system at large, but it became so individualized. And I watched people just begin to only care about how it affected them and become very callous about the pandemic or about what others were going through. I think for me as a healthcare worker in the beginning, it was all, you know, seeing the inspirational videos of people banging their pots and pans at 7 PM and, and the posters and the signs and the wanting to give us food and um, cheer us on as heroes. And that transition, like you talked about with, your client, that then that became, we were the oppressors, we were the enemy, we were liars, we were propagating, you know, the wishes of big pharma that I even saw, you know, with my own eyes, patients questioning certain medications that we were giving because we were actively trying to murder them. And when you go into healthcare to really want to assist people on their health journey to be accused of being unethical or being a liar or being actively trying to harm people, it hurts like it, and it, and it hurts. And I don't know if I can express how much disconnect or disassociation or disbelief I had around this process of how not everyone, but a good portion of the population I felt turned on us. Now to be on the defense when all we are trying to do is help people and advocate for people, even when they wouldn't do it for themselves. This by far has been the most frustrating period of my, of my life to work in a system where you are the villain is very new to healthcare workers. We have never as a whole been thought of in that manner, you know, that you know, the, all those surveys you do, what is the, you know, most trustworthy profession? It's always been nurses, you know, nurses have always come out on top of that annual survey and that's not the case anymore. And for us, you know, that wasn't our doing this, this was the pandemic. And then this was the disinformation and the conspiracy theories and the fatigue of the pandemic and the, the heartbreak and loss of lives and businesses and freedoms and, and still, we were just trying to advocate for people's health, and it didn't stop. We thought it would be two weeks, and then we thought it'd be six weeks, and then we thought it'd be three months, and here we are over two years later, and it's still here. And the struggles that healthcare workers are facing are are devastating. You know, you're seeing more and more news articles about healthcare workers, you know, committing suicide or, or, you know, seeking mental health or not being able to get access to mental health themselves and, or the exodus of healthcare workers. These are lifelong career healthcare workers who are done, like just absolutely done. I never could have predicted that this is how it would have turned out, but here we are. And I can totally relate from my own experience what these healthcare workers are facing. And my own journey through this process has been hard and frustrating and sad. And, you know, I have struggled through it. Really, the well for me was dry. Like I had no more resources left and yet still had to continue on. And I see that in the faces of people that I work with in my healthcare system. And I see it in on social media of healthcare workers across the country. And I don't, whether it is an intentional lack of awareness on people because they're just so done with trauma related to the pandemic, or they're just so tired of it and they just want to move on that they don't um, acknowledge it or witness it. But it is a really real and scary thing that is happening in healthcare right now. And I think as the pandemic has kind of lessened in our attention. It's not the leading headline in the news anymore, even though it's more surging again in the country, which 
doesn't seem to people don't seem to be aware of that that we are in the midst of another surge right now just the the lack of you know people are done they're tired they don't want to hear about it anymore and they want to move on with their lives i see this time where healthcare workers are able to let their guard down a little bit or are being told that they can let their guard down a little bit this is where i see them starting to unravel now now that they're able to take a moment or take a breath this is the time now that I see them start to unravel because they've had to keep it together for so long. You know, now is the time. And even for myself, this is the time that I had my first panic attack. Like I have made it 50 years of my life. I think never, I never felt like I had had a panic attack before. And I had my first panic attack out of the blue, like knocked me down. And I wasn't sure if I was having like a, heart arrhythmia or a panic attack. And with the resources that I have, I realized I wasn't having an arrhythmia. I was like, I think this is a panic attack. I, I didn't, I didn't know that you experienced that. Yeah, I did. I don't know, February of this year, maybe. So pretty far into the pandemic, you know, we've had these waves. We had the initial wave of the pandemic and then we had the vaccines and the, and we thought we were done with coronavirus, you know, after the vaccines happened, it just, our numbers fell off and then Delta emerges and kind of took us off guard. And then Omicron came and I hear people talk about Omicron. Like it was a, my, Oh, it's mild. Everyone's everyone I know got it. And they just had a cold. Everyone I know got it and just felt like the flu, but the sheer numbers of people who got sick, then made the sheer numbers of people who got deathly ill and died humongous. Omicron broke me. Like the Mm -hmm. amount of dying that happened during Omicron was unfathomable. And that's when I had a panic attack. I had no more resources left, like no more resilience. And I was, you know, getting ready for work and I couldn't breathe. And I, I was so internally focused on my physical symptoms. Like what is happening? Like what, you know, is this, is this, what is this? (laughs) Yes. And I want to, I want to drill down on that a little bit because you are not the only one who has said those very words to me. I've lived my whole life and I never thought that anxiety or panic was going to be a part of my experience. I couldn't really understand it in other people. I couldn't really understand what you're, you know, what you have been through. And then, so talk a little bit about the physical experience of it. And then I also want to talk a little bit about why they come um, from out of the blue to help people understand because information is power when it comes to these um, these signals from the body. And it certainly is a signal, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so scary. So, so, so scary. You think yeah, you're, you just... think you think you're having a stroke or, or some sort of event like, Oh my God, this is it. And the terror that washes over you is just something that you can't describe. Totally. And, and nothing else matters at that point. Nothing else can take your attention. Nothing else can distract you. I was short of breath. I, my heart was pounding. I was disorganized, couldn't focus, was trying to have this internal dialogue with myself, like about what was going on and came to the conclusion I was having a panic attack. And Mm -hmm. that episode was such a wake up call for me because I've always considered myself somebody who has resilience, somebody who has solid footing in whatever I'm presented with. I I usually feel like, okay, I have the resources to deal with this and I have the tools and I have the mental capacity to navigate this. That I had no capacity. I was not, I was not okay. And I was not in control of that. And in acknowledging that and admitting that, like not trying to gaslight myself that things were okay anymore because things had not been okay for a long time. The amount of trauma that healthcare workers have experienced over the last two years has not at all been acknowledged. And to continue to expect healthcare workers to work like they're working in the environment that they're working with the resources that they don't have to this extent for this period of time is absurd. And so I'm seeing healthcare workers across the spectrum begin to have these moments or episodes or begin to talk to each other about their mental health, where they are, their levels of anxiety. And these are some of the most 
diehard healthcare workers, they have over their careers, they have seen a lot. And this has tipped them over the edge. What I want to drop into this conversation just about specifically panic attacks, it when something like that happens, it's so scary. Our brain makes a marker of that, of course, like, okay, scary episode. Don't want that to happen again. And then what can happen? And I'm curious to see how you were feeling about this is we start to fear, well, what if that happens again? What if that happens when I'm driving? What if that happens when I am on the job? What if that happens when I'm with my kids or when I'm at this event, you know, and that's then what kind of turns it into what people will call a disorder. But what I want to drop into this conversation too is when we have an episode like that, that yes, it feels so incredibly scary. It feels like our body is out of control. It feels like our body has turned against us. Those are a lot of the thoughts and stories we can have that put us into fear. What I I do want to say is that in in truth, our body is working for us there. There has just been so much held specifically in your profession. You're in your sympathetic nervous system. You are in survival mode. You are in rush mode. There's not a time for deep breathing. You know, there's not there's not a time for joy in those emergency situations or under staff situations, under resource situations. So you're just on. You are just 100% on. We're not meant to be. And so, so much of that is just built up, built up, built up. And then it does feel like there's this explosion within, but it's almost like this release as, as our body just attempts to kind of come to homeostasis and normalize things. But it is because of a buildup and it isn't anything that anybody is doing wrong. It's just a reality of certain ways of living and also coupled with, Um, what we've kind of internalized throughout our lives. You know, it does not mean that you're any less resilient in, in my opinion, it is our body attempting to take care of us there. And it's also scary and it's also not convenient. And this society is not made for um, when people just need to stop. And, and that is a little bit of a sign that no, you know, I need help. I, I need comfort. I need safety. Um, I need deep relaxation. And that is not always available. Um, and especially the way that the system is is set up. Healthcare workers can't just stop. No, they can't. And they're not, now more than ever, they're being asked to do more. And there is no solution that I have seen even begin to be entertained by the healthcare system. The healthcare system as a whole across the country has continued to not support their healthcare workers, not provide access to health, mental health. They can put out an email that says, we appreciate everything that you've done for the past two years. We really appreciate you. And here's a YouTube video you can watch for relaxation. That's not helpful. The healthcare system has not fixed the staffing shortages. They have no plan for the mass exodus of healthcare workers that's occurring right now. Our benefits are still subpar as far as our own access to resources. And this will only perpetuate the mental health crisis with the healthcare workers. I understand that healthcare is a business because that's what it is. They talk about their profits and they talk about their metrics. There's a very real human toll that has taken place over the past two years with healthcare workers. Just the continuing asking of healthcare workers to do more. Our staffing is the worst it's ever been, and there's no plan for that. There's no plan to make the work environment for healthcare any better, and we're still in a pandemic. We are still seeing COVID patients. We are still having COVID patients die. And at this point in the pandemic, we're doing it with even less resources. It's infuriating to me that this is where we're at. And the healthcare workers' mental health is not going to improve unless they are given resources, unless they are given a break. I don't see that coming anytime soon. And it's so hard for me to feel gaslit every time I go to work about how things are mm-hmm. and how nor- how each level of worsening state of affairs is normalized. You know, we get to the next lower level of, of the way things are, and it begins to become normalized again. 
I, I question myself, like, is it me? <laughs> Am I the one? And well, and I'm curious to know what, you know, since that panic attack as well, like how have you personally, you, Amy, how have you been tending to yourself? What has your journey of mental health been since that, that moment? So pretty quickly after that episode, I, I scheduled an appointment with my healthcare provider and had a long talk with her about what was going on. And, you know, she recommended medication and Mm -hmm. I took it and it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, I have never been one who regularly takes medications just because I never felt like I really needed them. And at that point in my life, I needed them and they were very helpful. And I continue to take them today. Having the acknowledgement, you know, first that this is a problem was a big deal for me. Reaching out for help, reaching, you know, letting my, my partner know that I am not okay. Like I am not okay. And I don't know what it's going to take to get okay, but I'm going to start to work on that and having the support of my partner and then, you know, having a close um, relationship with my healthcare provider. She was very supportive and, and very acknowledging that this is, it's okay you know, there was no shame to reach out and, and say that I wasn't handling things and my resources were gone and, and I needed some help. So, you know, having that was huge and medication has really changed. It gave me the, it gave me enough then to have clarity about, I need to change some things in my own life for myself that, that the past years have not been okay, that, I'm not going to continue on in the, in the same manner that I had been, that I love my job. I love what I do, but it is affecting my mental health in a way that I'm not going to tolerate anymore. And so then medication is the first thing, then, you know, having open conversations with those around me about how I was doing so that I had a support system of people who were checking in with me and, you know, offering their support or offloading, um, things that they could do for me, you know, to lighten my workload, you know, whether it was in my home life or whether it was in my business that I have. And, and then also like looking to the future and being really specific about boundaries <laughs> of what mm-hmm. I, I will tolerate in my profession. And that means that that's going to change and that's okay. You don't have to continue to do the same thing every day just because that's what you've done. You can do other things and still be a whole person and whatever career you're in, it doesn't, because I'm a nurse doesn't mean I always have to be a nurse that works in a hospital. I could seek out other ways of helping people in their healing journey that also supports me and doesn't harm my mental health. And I can, and that's okay. And there's a lot of stigma, I think for healthcare workers that that's a calling for them that's their identity. And sometimes that can be to their detriment because when it's no longer supporting or serving them, they continue on. And, and we're seeing some real tragedies now because of that, because it's so hard to extricate yourself from something that feels like a calling. No, oh, you, you talked about a couple of things that are a stigma. I, I really am grateful for you that you shared that you turn to medication. And again, a lot of people in my community have had that experience of late and 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 couch it with a, a bit of shame. Yeah, a, a feeling as though they're weak and they had to turn to something like this. But, but the reality is, is sometimes it is necessary. Things are going on in our nervous system. Things are going on in our brain that need some tending to. And it can be... Um, for some people, a really good starting point in order to just even gain the clarity or sometimes energy or sometimes just be buoyed enough in order to take care of themselves. So uh, I do want to keep the conversation going about that because sometimes it is so helpful. And and I, I wish for everybody to be able to just feel whole and not have a sense of shame because of that. And then the other thing that you talked about is, yeah, I, I do happen to know, um, you have a, a few nurses in my community and they are the true helpers. They are the true helpers. 
and and are identified with being a helper. And then there are many ways to do that. Yeah, there are. And it doesn't have to be the way you do it today. It doesn't have to be the way you do it for the rest of your life. And And I know many of my best friends who are in certain specialties, they really identify with that specialty. They really take a lot of pride in in their knowledge and in the skills that they've obtained. And it's okay to learn new skills and it's okay to, to seek a position or a career that supports your life outside of healthcare. And that's a hard thing for healthcare workers sometimes to, to do, you know, to be able to extricate the identity from from their day-to-day life. They weren't always a nurse. And I think that's hard for them to remember that they were a whole human being before they became a nurse. And if that they weren't a nurse or a healthcare worker, they'll still be a whole human being afterwards. Mm. Mm. If I were a healthcare worker and a nurse listening to this, you know, Amy, thank you so much. I would feel seen. And I know that's kind of our hope with this conversation and we've laid out some of the reality of the system. And now we also want to talk about possible solutions just the, to the degree that we can. You know, people listening are, well, you know, I I want to help. And, and we have some ideas of our own that we'll talk about in a few moments. But if people really do want to help and feel like, what is a small, simple thing that I could do? I mean, do I take a huge basket of fruit to my my local uh, clinic or emergency room like what are on the ground things that people can do in their community to to support healthcare workers the first thing that comes to mind is calling your legislature calling your local senators and congressmen because there are quite a number of bills in congress and in the senate that could help healthcare workers related to safe staffing ratios. Mm. If you really care about your healthcare workers, really advocating for their work safety is a huge thing that you could do to talk about. There are a number of issues that, that nurses are passionate about that relate to patient safety and anyone might become a patient. So this can affect everyone, even if they don't personally know a healthcare worker and and advocating for safe staffing or safe patient ratios is a huge thing that you could do that would have long-term consequences for healthcare workers far beyond dropping off a basket of fruit. <laughs> you know, it shows that you're committed to to really helping healthcare workers really becoming involved in the issues that that nurses are passionate about. The nurses just marched in Washington D.C. last week on this issue. You know, I, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of nurses marched last Friday in DC, but this is what they're asking for. They're asking the public to help them help the public. Mm -hmm. What you said is just so true. At some point we could all be a patient at some point we're going to need this system. So what do you mean specifically when you talk about advocating for patient safety, like what's happening that maybe we're not aware of that needs to be advocated for? So there are nurse to patient ratios um, that, that hospitals generally adhere to. And these vary across the country. And the better nurse to patient ratio, the better the outcome for the patients, the better likelihood you are to leave the hospital in good health alive. There are statistics that show that the more patients that a nurse is responsible for during their shift, the worse outcomes for the patients. So this healthcare is a business. What's the easiest way to increase profitability is to decrease the number of nurses, which increases the number of patients that they have to take care of, which then causes, creates the potential for harm to the patient. So advocating for Making these ratios laws that are standardized across the country is important. 
the number of patients that a nurse cares for in California is far different than the number of patients a nurse cares for in Florida and in different parts of the country. And these are based on California has a, a state law that the hospitals have to follow for appropriate staffing. And that's important. And it's important for the other states to follow suit and they're not. So having those laws enacted in all the states, there are bills in the legislature right now about violence against healthcare workers. If you are a healthcare worker, you are more likely to be injured or assaulted on the job than a police officer. If you are a healthcare worker and there are laws and that have stalled in the legislature about making it a felony to assault a healthcare worker. And they, they have sat there in Congress for a year and a half. (sighs) If people care about their healthcare workers, they can be very active and very vocal about passing these bills. And this is a bipartisan issue. This is not a, you know, a one-sided political issue. This affects everybody, whatever your political beliefs are. Patient safety is a bipartisan issue. Healthcare workplace violence is a healthcare issue. And when you see the public advocating for you in that way, that means so much. Like that means so much more than put it, you know, yes, we appreciate the signs and the posters, but but to have lasting change, it's going to take some changes in the law. And, and that makes the healthcare workers feel seen, feel, you know, valued, that their work is important, that they feel protected. If somebody walked into my ER and punched me in the face, nothing would happen to them. But if I was standing outside the ER on the sidewalk and somebody punched me in the face, that would be a, they would be charged with assault. But because they come into the hospital, it is no longer a crime. Wow. I never knew that. Wow. And if, and if the, if the staff, if the healthcare workers take it upon themselves to try to press charges, more often than not, they are dissuaded. They are encouraged not to, you know, whether that patient was um, incapacitated or inebriated or had mental health issues, all of those layers begin to take be taken into consideration. And the healthcare worker is very often dissuaded from pressing any kind of legal charges. But if that happened 50 feet outside the door, it'd be a different story. And we would all be like, oh my gosh, you know, that person assaulted Amy and, you know, she needs to press charges and they need to go to jail. But the minute they cross that threshold, it's very different. And healthcare workers have advocated for the laws to change for ever. I remember talking about this 10, 15 years ago, nothing has changed. The safety of healthcare workers is, is in jeopardy far before the pandemic. Now it's just exacerbated by people's heightened emotions, by people's mistrust, by their anger over all of these, you know, being restricted from seeing their family or their family members passing away. And, and these are real issues for healthcare workers that, change has not happened quick enough. How do you stay motivated and hopeful? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I love what I do. And, and it's not to say that every day you walk into work is a war zone because Mm -hmm. depending on you, one, where you work, it's not always like that, but it's the constant chipping away of your inspiration or your motivation. I still love what I do. I also know that there is a expiration date on the capacity that I'm doing it in now. I can't do it for much longer. And I've done it for a long time and I love what I do and I'm good at what I do. I, I'm really proud of the work that I've accomplished in 25 years. And I also know I'm done. I'm just, you know, the change has not happened quick enough and the pandemic has just shown a bright light on the faults and the cracks in the healthcare system. And these are real lives. You know, the healthcare workers are real human beings with their own feelings and emotions and needs. And those are not addressed. And if anything, they're just picked apart. And I don't see change happening quick enough to save a lot of the healthcare workers who 
are ready to make a move to ready to move out into something else. You know, cause I can imagine like what you say, still loving your job, because even though, you know, from this bird's eye perspective, this, there's so much broken in this system that needs to be addressed. And then on a day-to-day level, there you are as a loving, caring person going and caring on vulnerable people. You know, I've spent time as a patient and that was when I felt scared and, and I appreciate so much these lovely people who would come in and answer my questions and tend to my anxieties and be there for me. It's you're really a lifeline. And just even the the work that I do at a behavioral health clinic, just to be able to have some sort of capacity and some sort of skills to be able to offer to another human being that maybe just gives a bit of comfort in that moment. That's completely fulfilling. And it is a profession that is full of meaning. So I understand that part of that is what would keep you going because on the day to day, there is that connection that we all so deeply need and that many of us lost over the past couple of years. That's the other thing that I want to touch on here um, before we talk about, you know, our, our small way that we are thinking that we could help in our little corner of the world is gathering again. You know, you also are the founder and owner of a yoga studio. I have started to work locally with a behavioral health clinic after working at home, just like completely being isolated and moving to an entire new community throughout the pandemic where I don't know anybody. And then to be able to actually be with other humans in real life, including um, I did take a retreat to this beautiful place in Sayulita, Mexico called Haramara. And and being able to gather in that way was so incredibly nourishing for every single part of me. But what has that been like for you? So my studio is back open now and we were closed strictly online for a while because of the pandemic and we have been back open in person and that has been so nourishing to be in community with people coming into the studio seeking meditation or movement or stillness or rest and restoration and being able to offer that space to them has kept me going. I find a lot of my inspiration of just being there and being with the community with who shows up there and like you said, being able to gather again is so important and how much I know I missed that being able to be in a space with somebody and feel like it's okay that we're not doing something wrong by being in the same physical space together, how much I needed that to fill me up, to be in a space with other people was, was huge. And yeah, Returning to, I know people are very, very much want to return to things that they felt like they were restricted from during the pandemic. And that for me was, was important for the studio to be able to be in the same physical space. So we were online at the studio for quite a bit of time. And that was nice to keep the connection, to be able to see people, to see their pets, to, to have conversations in a way that felt safe. But the important part was now being able to be in a physical space together and see people's faces. And there's something different about seeing their face in real life than seeing their face in a box on the computer. And that that is so nourishing to me and so exciting. And I took it for granted that before the pandemic, being able to just be in a space with somebody and how much I missed that connection, that physical connection, being able to be around my family and hug them and touch them and hold hands. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, I will never take that for granted again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so many things changed. I think our brains changed. I still notice that when I'm out in the world, we, give each other wide berths. You know, you see another person, you see a stranger. Um, hopefully you're meeting eyes. Hopefully you're smiling and saying hello. That that does happen in, in my community a lot. But still, there is is a feeling in some to avert the eyes, to kind of, like I say, give each other a wide berth. That's completely new. 
And that's something that has changed. And I see, because I'm the mother of a 20 year old, I see in that generation, unfortunately, it, it has really changed. And then when I gathered with a group of amazing women at the retreat, it did not take long before we were just so close. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we, we would not stop hugging. And, and there were moments just sitting around a dinner table where it would just hit me. I have not done this for so long, sitting around a table and laughing and talking and sharing, especially getting to know people that you haven't met before because we're regathering, of course, with people that we've known for a long time. But the experience of meeting new people and hearing new stories, that was just incredibly enlivening. And you're right. So many things I took for granted, I will not take for granted again. My mom was finally able to come and visit us in our new community, which was incredible. What I think of as fun has changed. You know, we used to on the weekends think about all the places we were going to go. And I find so much simple pleasure now in just my yard. So things, things have simplified, things have changed. And, um, you know, hopefully when it comes to the way we think about each other and appreciate each other, including how we appreciate healthcare workers when we start to learn um, some of what we've talked about here, hopefully that is a, a change that will change for the better. The Warrior to Warrior podcast. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by my meaningful resource for my members, Warrior to Warrior Yoga Therapy. I created an accessible, affordable resource of self-care to support you from home as your own personal yoga therapist. My members receive live weekly classes and a continuously updated selection of therapeutic offerings in varying lengths and intentions. You can find classes that attend to your energy levels, your mood, time of day, desires, and emotional states. This is a robust resource, and it includes countless practices featuring my blend of yoga therapy, somatic coaching, and personal development. Head to lisadumas.com to find out more and try it for free for five days. We are in the planning stages of something that we can do in in a very small way, Um, you know, gathering for healing experiences in person. What an opportunity. And yes, beautiful. However, I do still very much value being able to to gather online because I am able to practice with some of my favorite teachers that don't live in the same community as I do. So I have continued a um, yoga therapy resource that I've got members of and we meet weekly and we meet monthly. And so you and I had been talking about what is something that we can do that would be meaningful, that would be an experience for healthcare workers to start to relax and restore and regulate nervous systems and gain tools in order to support themselves, but mostly just to be able to take the time to be in community and take the time to schedule real productive healing rest. So we've come up with healing for healthcare workers, which we're thinking about, um, starting in mid-July, and this would be, um, include, I'll have you talk about the resources that you'll offer. It would include membership to your offerings. It would include membership to my offerings, but then it would also include these live and yes online because we don't want it to be limited to where you live. Gatherings where Amy and I will be teaching from you know, our, our skill sets, but also bringing in other teachers and other resources, but it would be a container, a really safe community where healthcare workers can share with each other, where they can feel seen and heard and they can deeply relax. So this is something that we're planning and to keep it cost-free for healthcare workers, we'll be asking others to sponsor a healthcare worker. So that's just something small that we could all do so that healthcare workers can start to heal. I'm so excited about this. I, I, I like you have been percolating all these different ideas of how we can help the healthcare workers in a meaningful way. And this feels so good and so right. And you asked earlier what people could do to help healthcare workers. And I think this is a is something that they could really make a difference in a healthcare worker's life if they 
know about this program that we're putting together and they reach out to a healthcare worker just to let them know, or if they feel called to sponsor a healthcare worker, either somebody they know, or it could just be sponsoring a healthcare worker and we'll, we will do the finding of the healthcare workers to give these resources to them. And Mm -hmm. it feels so good. It doesn't feel like what we would be offering would be a quick fix that wouldn't have lasting change. I know you and I are both deeply committed to serving this population. And this feels like a really authentic way that we could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we can say for now is to watch this space for more details and to watch, um, you know, both of the places where we release our information, lisadumas.com. And you can give the information where people can find uh, you I'll, I'll let you do that here. And of course, we will include this in the show notes. And very soon, we're going to get all of this buttoned down and tell you how you can sponsor a healthcare worker. It's very exciting. <laughs> so how can people find you, Amy? They can find me at amypruitt.com. That's A-I-M-E-E-P-R-U-I-T-T.com or at my studio, which is radiantyogaandwellness.com. And we're located in Worthington, Ohio. You can find Radiant Yoga on Instagram or on Facebook, as well as our website. Well, thank you for being such an informed and active member of your community and advocate for your community. We've talked about this before, but not to this detail. And it was just such an honor to hear from you about this. And again, just, you know, thank you. Thank you for everything that you do. Well, thank you for having me. I love to talk about these things and I love talking to you. I know I've missed talking to you and you will be back, right? A regular guest. (laughs) I will. I will be back regularly whenever you will have me. And it is going to be just wonderful to join forces and teach together again online. And then we will uh, travel to each other's states and host in-person gatherings as a part of this offering as well. So this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. I love that. And I love you. I love you. Bye, Amy. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Warrior to Warrior podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star review. You can do that in the Apple Podcast app. It helps other people to find the show. Thank you so much.